Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is Episode 8, The Full Interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Michael Olson, Director of Marketing at New Relic. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to AI and IT ops podcast. I am Andy Thurai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com, home of unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Our guest for this episode is Michael Olson, Director of Marketing at Neuralic. Michael, welcome to the show and to the hot seat. Thanks for having me, Andy. Good to be here. So the AI ops field is really red hot right now. I am tracking personally as an analyst more than about 35 plus observability vendors who all claim they do AI ops in some way or other. Some do, obviously, monitoring, some provide the whole platform, and some provide just application-level monitoring. How do you guys at Neuralink define AI ops? What does it mean to your customers? Sure. One of the byproducts of just the general hype that you know we're seeing around AI and machine learning more broadly outside of the software delivery or even IT operations space, I think it's created a lot of confusion around what AI ops is and arguably just as importantly, what AI ops isn't. And I think it's the technology space is early enough in its evolution and adoption still that there's still some confusion and perhaps a lack of common understanding around what are the actual use cases for AI ops. And I think what we've seen is over the course of the last several years, a new category of technology that's emerged that's really focused specifically on putting AI and machine learning in the hands of on-call engineers responsible for incident response so they can prevent more incidents as well as you know respond to them faster. I think Gartner initially coined the term you know AI ops as sort of shorthand for artificial intelligence for IT operations to describe the space. And it's really about using AI and machine learning to augment humans, to help them analyze the data that's generated by their software and their systems in order to predict possible problems, you know, determine the root cause, and then ideally drive action in order to fix those problems. And I think, you know, uh, Andy, part of the genesis around why we've seen this space sort of come to fruition over the course of the past several years is you know, particularly as we're seeing software teams that are modernizing and adopting cloud native technology, there are just a lot more things that on-call engineers have to be able to monitor and react to, right? There's a wider surface area, there's more software changes happening, more operational data being emitted across, you know, a fragmented set of tools, more alerts, plus more pressure to be able to find and fix problems faster as well as prevent them from occurring. And I think what we see is that as this volume of, of operational data increases, so does the time that's typically required to be able to understand problems and fix them. And I think having been in and around the DevOps space for about six or seven years now, you know, so many operations teams are still spending far too much of their time in reactive mode, constantly having to firefight incidents while never finding time to be able to implement processes that enable them to identify issues before they cause problems for end users. So really where AI ops sort of came to exist is, is this notion that as the complexity of production systems grows, that on-call teams need faster and easier ways to, to find and fix problems in their environments. So what are the main ways you see Neuralink customers using AI ops technology? What are some of their top use cases? 
I think this is another area where perhaps in our industry, there's been so much hype around AI and machine learning in general. And there's been a lot of hype around AI ops and a lot of buzzwords being thrown around in our space that I think in some ways it's done a disservice at at actually facilitating clarity as to the ways that AI ops technology can be utilized for jobs to be done for engineers who carry a pager. And I would boil it down, Andy, and say that, you know, the four most common ways that our customers are looking to AI ops technology to help with are one, more proactive detection of anomalies, you know, before an issue hits production or before it impacts customer experience or jeopardizes service level objectives. Second is around this idea of alert noise reduction, really helping software teams prioritize their alerts and focus on the issues that matter the most by correlating related alerts and related events that are due to the same core problem. So you can reduce that problem of alert fatigue and sort of increase that signal to noise ratio, if you will. A third use case that we see a lot of customers looking at and using AI ops for is around sort of this idea of smarter alerting and escalation, being able to more efficiently route incidents and alerts to the individuals and teams who are best equipped to respond to particular problems and reduce some of that toil involved in the incident response process. And then a fourth use case that I'm seeing a lot more interest around is really all about the end goal of being able to diagnose and respond more quickly. And so I'm seeing AI ops technology that's stepping in and helping on-call engineers with intelligence and metadata and context so teams can sort of troubleshoot and understand the issue, get closer to a probable root cause, and then determine what course of action to undertake in order to be able to resolve the problem and restore you know, services back to a known good state. You talked about the event correlation being a common use case for AI ops. How are your customers actually doing that? Can you share some examples, uh, if possible, from an enterprise space? Well, let me also clarify. When I say enterprise, I mean a digital enterprise or a digital powerhouse, not like the, one of those backward enterprises. It's like a $1 billion company, but they're doing a data analytics using spreadsheets and stuff. Sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I'll give you an example that's top of mind for me. I was talking to a customer of ours recently that is just getting started implementing AI ops technology as part of their incident response process. And the use case that was hot for them was really around this idea of cascading failures. And so they were describing to me a pretty mission critical application where you know, they had a website where customers are making transactions. And for those transactions to be successful, they had multiple production services that have to remain healthy, right? There, in, in this instance, there was a MySQL database that some other services were fetching data from. There's a web portal that's communicating with, with other backend services. And they described a scenario in which they had, you know, a recent production issue that involved their MySQL database running out of space. So What happened was that database fired an alert, but the application that depends on that database then started firing alerts as well. And on the client side, they started to see problems occurring in addition to that around latency, and that started triggering some alerts as well. So now this team that was carrying the pager had a cascading failure across their environment and you know, was sort of faced in a situation where they were getting an alert storm from all of these different services where it was hard to really separate what's the real issue and identify which of these alerts that they were receiving were symptoms versus which were kind of related to the core problem. And then worse, they described that, you know, they weren't even getting notified about this issue until it had turned into a full-blown production incident that was impacting customer experience and actually impacting their service level objectives to the rest of the business. So their main genesis for their interest in AI ops was, Hey, one, like, how do we detect, you know, a potential issue faster before it actually turns into an actual incident? And then second, when an incident occurs, 
how do we start to reduce just the flood of alerts that are coming in so we can get to probable root cause faster and fix the problem more quickly? So that's kind of a common use case that I tend to hear around where event correlation as part of an AI ops practice can help. And some of the areas where it can really help are just around reducing the number of irrelevant alerts, whether that's due to you know, a decommissioned project or an unused service that are maybe being handled by other teams that are still triggering or firing off you know, irrelevant alerts to the wrong people and teams that starts to sort of condition you to just blindly acknowledge them or ignore them altogether. I also see low priority alerts being a low hanging fruit target for where AI ops can help around reducing alert fatigue. You know, we see due to kind of flapping issues, for example, a lot of alerts that tend to be triggered off of, you know, issues that may be auto resolving in a matter of a few minutes because you've got automation in place, for example, that can fix the problem for you when it occurs. And so receiving those types of alerts, what we found is uh, we have customers that are able to reduce their volume of alerts by as much as 50% just by leveraging kind of grace periods that AI ops technology can provide around, you know, suppressing those lower priority or auto resolving alerts. And then another common use case that I see around event correlation is just around duplicate alerts. There's particularly within larger organizations, you know, you see so many examples still of redundant monitoring that's in place where You know, you may have alert policies that are set up, you know, across Splunk or Prometheus or Grafana or Amazon CloudWatch or a new relic, for example, where you're monitoring the same services and the same thresholds and triggering alerts from multiple tools that are due to the same core issue. And that's another area where event correlation can really help is identifying alerts that are coming in due to the same core issue and grouping those together so you can start to you know reduce some of the fatigue that comes from just getting flooded with an alert storm. So you can say all you want and implement all you want, but the reality is the boots on the ground needs to trust the leadership and the decisions to execute it. In other words, the NOC engineers, the SOC engineers, or the pager carrying on-call engineers need to trust the AI and ML enough to fully embrace the AI apps and the decisions made by them. Do they trust AI and your solution enough to implement that? That's a really good question, Andy. And I'm going to be honest, I think that's still a work in progress in our industry. And I think that there's a lot of skepticism uh, and uncertainty and fear that comes with trusting the machine learning models and trusting the AI to ensure that things like critical signals won't go unnoticed or that we can trust the decisions that are being made in the system. And the other piece is just around the utility of the AI and ML that's taking place under the hood. I'll give you an example you know, think about anomaly detection. I mentioned that's a bread and butter core use case that our customers are utilizing AI ops to help with. But if you're a bigger organization and you've got a larger estate of systems and services and applications that are running in production, anomalies are going to happen all the time. That's a given. And to be useful, anomaly detection really needs sort of three things. It needs to account for this notion of seasonality. It needs to be multivariate. And then it needs to tie to some form of business outcome, right? Like, if you've got an anomaly in, in a particular AWS zone or region for some portion of your estate, but it hasn't actually impacted any users, do you need to stop what you're doing and take action on that? Like you need the business context to be able to tie anomaly data to some other KPI or some other set of metrics or events to get that context on what you need to take action on. One of the things that I've personally found frustrating at times is a lot of tooling can be sort of a black box as to how event correlations are performed. And that sort of creates that uncertainty about what's going on behind the scenes and the machine learning that's taking place. And one of the things that I think is really important for AI ops technology 
as a design principle is, is to be super transparent and kind of peel back the covers and make it extremely clear to users how and why correlations are being performed in the machine learning that takes place. And I think that's why, you know, there's a lot of debate among AI ops vendors around like rule-based engines and systems versus non-rule-based mechanisms for alert correlation. And my take on that is both are valuable that, you know, the, that hybrid approaches can help facilitate some of that trust while also enabling things like faster time to value and higher quality of issue correlations, that it's important for, you know, on-call engineers to be able to tune the system with their own logic, their own human logic. So, you know, they can go in and tell the system optionally, what data do you want us to compare? How do you want us to correlate that data? What time period should we consider for correlating two distinct events that come in? What's the minimum number of alerts we should correlate really to make it more transparent and clear how the process is working and build confidence? But that needs to be augmented through things like pre-trained ML models and global decisions based on either industry data or kind of you know continually self-learning from your data so the system can get smarter and actually automatically suggest correlations and make decisions that enable you to scale an AI ops practice within your organization. There's always that challenge, right? It's um, nobody trusts the black box without knowing that how decisions are made. Transparency is a key. We, we actually had the same issues with the rule-based engines as well for a while, right? I mean, before people start implementing that fully and trusting fully. Do, do people trust the rules enough to blindly follow the orders? That's the key. Looks like they trust AI more than the rules-based engine now. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's where the the feedback that, you know, that that, that I've heard from a lot of our customers I, that I've talked to is is that hybrid approach, um, you know, ends up striking a balance between facilitating trust and enabling kind of faster time to value. Because I think the other piece is part of the reason why, you know, if you look at Gartner data, somewhere around only 10% of enterprise organizations utilize AI ops as in, in, in their production environments today is because historically, a lot of these tools have been pretty difficult to get up and running with. They've re, you know, required a pretty steep onboarding and implementation and uh, process, as well as oftentimes weeks or months for the system to sort of study and learn from your data in order to train the ML models. And so I think part of the balance to strike is how do you give on-call engineers the right level of control uh, to be able to inform the correlation logic with their own human decisions, how do you balance that with pre-trained ML models that, you know, enable on-call engineers to start, you know, leveraging the benefits of, of alert noise reduction without requiring weeks or months for the system to sort of train up based on your data? Okay. Uh, here comes another um, second tough question, I would say. <laughs> There's an important nuance, though. Uh, while they can trust the machines that proposes the right decisions, there is still this underlying fear that their jobs will be lost. What if the machines take over or if they automate the whole thing, you know, are the jobs in jeopardy? You know, I am a very big believer that AI ops is not about replacing human work. It's it's all about augmenting humans with power tools and, you know, through the form of intelligence and recommendations and automation to be able to eliminate toil and, and help humans, you know, particularly engineers who are on call responsible for responding to incidents uh, to enable them to focus on higher value work. And I think about, you know, we, we get this question from, from time to time. And I think about how the automation space, kind of an adjacent category of technology has also evolved over the course of the past decade. When I first sort of got into the, the DevOps space, my, my background is, is more around infrastructure automation. 
And, you know, six, seven years ago, there were a lot of similar questions around the role that automation might play. And I think about how the role of a traditional systems engineer has evolved. Six to seven years ago, there was still somewhat of a fear of automation. You know, is this going to is this going to replace what I do? Is this going to make me obsolete or render my role sort of unnecessary? And I think what we've found borne out as automation technology has become more pervasive, whether that's, you know, infrastructure automation tools like Ansible or uh, Puppet, where, you know, I, where I used to work, or Terraform, for example, as well as CICD technology that helps automate the build deploy cycle for applications, as that technology has become more pervasive and widely adopted and used, it hasn't taken away people's jobs. What it's done is it's taken away the mundane toil, redundant menial work, and actually enabled engineers to focus on higher higher value work. So we've seen, for example, the traditional systems administrator or systems engineer role evolve, where it's less about being a you know a firefighter and being reactive and writing bash or PowerShell scripts to fix problems. And it's more about becoming a enabler for the rest of the organization. Uh, and so we've seen that role evolve into kind of a more modern SRE or DevOps engineering function, where your job is really to provide common platforms and self-service tooling that enables developers to be able to build and deploy software faster and more often. And building in kind of platforms that enable you to, you know, kind of resolve production problems and maintain service availability through the help of automated action and remediation. The AI and ITFs podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest. And I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. Incident management and proper and immediate response is the difference between a good digital transformation and good digital hygiene versus someone who's just wants to be there because everyone is going to cloud. How are you seeing your customers using the AI ops in that perspective? Yeah, you know, I think one of the underrated benefits of an AI ops practice is that it can actually help indirectly facilitate more meaningful retrospectives, incident retros, you know, after problems occur and after they're resolved uh, in a few ways. One, AI ops technology should continue to you know, learn from your data and become smarter over time in terms of uh, suggestions to, to correlate events and reduce noise as well as providing intelligent recommendations on things like who to escalate incidents to or being able to classify incidents based on golden signals to be able to start to determine root cause faster or identify 
through dependency mapping parts of your environment that are affected more easily so you can start to isolate the problem. And you're actually baking that knowledge directly into your AI ops technology rather than you know conducting those types of retrospectives through static Google Docs, for example. And what that does is I think the understated benefit of AI ops is it can help facilitate more meaningful retros and in turn, actually over time, help decrease the likelihood that a similar incident will occur in the future as you're sort of training the models to provide even more meaningful recommendations and action over time. So monitoring used to be the norm, whether it's uh, for the application workloads, APMs, or for the network, NPMDs, or for the infrastructure, or even for the DEMS or the digital experience monitoring, right? Now, majority of the digital powerhouses that I see are moving from just from monitoring into the, the newer way of doing things. The observability has gained a lot of traction. In other words, moving from a reactive digital enterprise to a proactive digital enterprise. How do you think AI apps can help with that transition? What we've seen is the way software gets delivered and operated has fundamentally changed over the course of the past few years, particularly as teams are moving to continuous delivery where Software changes are just happening uh, and coming at you faster and, and more often than ever before. And as we're seeing teams increasingly refactoring monolithic applications into cloud-native architectures where they're typically leveraging containers that are running in orchestration systems like Kubernetes, you know, it used to be good enough to be able to just monitor a fixed set of known knowns. And that is just not reality anymore for teams with modern ephemeral environments where the lifetime of a container may be measured in you know, minutes or less. And I also think that as the lines between infrastructure and applications continue to blur, that it's more important than ever to really be able to sort of see across your entire software system and get traceability across your entire estate and through your entire stack. So you can quickly see dependencies as well as troubleshoot and solve problems faster. So really what, you know, speaking of buzzword bingo, you know, observability has really become, you know, a term that's taken foothold over the course of the past few years. And it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When I think about observability, and as our customers have you know, shared with us how they think about it, the most common way I hear it referred to is how well do you understand the behavior of your complex digital system? And observability really requires proactively collecting, visualizing, and then applying intelligence to all of your metrics and events and logs and trace data in one place and getting that unified view so you can, again, get traceability across your entire stack. And one of the quotes that I've seen out there that I think really resonates for me is that if traditional monitoring tells you when something is wrong, observability lets you interrogate your system and ask why. So I really see AI ops as being sort of a, a core requirement for observability because it's really the set of technology that applies intelligence to your telemetry data and your incident data in order to be able to potentially predict problems before they happen, proactively detect anomalous behavior, correlate events to reduce noise, and then provide diagnostics to help on-call engineers you know, fix problems faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. You speak my mind. So Neuralink used to be a monitoring vendor particularly with, with uh, application workloads. That's what you, you guys did for, what, almost a decade. Now, you guys have completely transitioned yourselves into more of an observability vendor fairly quickly from what I've seen. Was that transition painful, difficult, or easy? Keep in mind you're under oath, so you had to speak the truth. <laughs> 
<laughs> Will do. Yeah, you know, New Relic's been on New Relic's been on a journey, uh, you know, over the course of the past several years, and and you know, I've been with the company for about sixteen months, but I've been following the company for several years prior, as I've been in in and around the DevOps space, and it's been a fun rocket ship ride. And as I think you know, New Relic really got its roots as an early pioneer in in the APM space, and as creator of this idea of of a SaaS based approach to application performance monitoring. And over the course of the past several years, particularly in light of some of the stuff I talked about earlier, where we're seeing the lines between infrastructure and applications continuing to blur, we're seeing more and more organizations that are looking to unify all of their telemetry and operational data in one place so they can you know, find and fix problems faster and more efficiently. We've been continually expanding our set of capabilities that we're offering in order to be able to observe and monitor not just application performance, but also infrastructure health and then correlating your system health and, and software performance to business outcomes and really understanding how your software performance impacts the experience that customers and end users have on your websites and, and on your mobile applications, for example, and getting all that data in one place. Uh, so it's been a fun ride, I think, for New Relic over the course of the past few years. In the time that I've been with the company, we've added log management capabilities into our platform. We've built in AI ops capabilities really to address the use cases that we've been talking about on this call. And I think that's really what we're seeing and hearing is feedback from customers is they don't want to be using a, a disconnected set of tools for monitoring their infrastructure health versus their application performance versus you know, seeing log data, for example, or applying intelligence and AI ops to their telemetry and, and incident data, they want to be able to start to get all that information in one place. And that's really the guiding light for us over the course of the past few years from an innovation perspective. It's already very dangerous to have a siloed development tools and, you know, even execution infrastructure tools. It's even more, a lot more dangerous to have a siloed monitoring and observability tools that they'll kill you. So how do you see the uh, cloud ops affecting the AI ops and the observability? That's a good question. We've seen a lot of cultural shifts in how our customers are organizing their teams and how they're goaling their teams and, and allocating roles and responsibilities. And one of the big shifts that I've seen that I think relates to AI ops and the topics we've been talking about today is, you know, it used to be particularly in more of a traditional systems engineering practice, bigger organizations may have had like a centralized dedicated NOC, you know, a network operations center that looked after and, and was responsible for service availability and reliability and managing and triaging incidents. And increasingly, as we're seeing, you know, more and more organizations adopting and, and really scaling out DevOps practices within their organizations, the shift that I've seen is really more about embedding SREs and DevOps engineers within application teams and creating more of a shared sense of responsibility and end-to-end -end ownership and accountability, not just for innovation in terms of shipping software and features faster and more often, but then also those teams taking direct responsibility for the reliability of, of their applications and the, the services and infrastructure that support those applications. So things like on-call rotations among the development teams, having embedded SREs within those teams versus funneling incidents and responsibility for availability through a dedicated centralized team is, is one of the big shifts that I've seen. And that's not unique to the, the concept of incident response, by the way. One of the other shifts we've seen that's enabled teams to be able to get software out the door a lot faster is the concept of sort of a centralized release management function to me is pretty antiquated as well. And we're seeing you know more and more examples as teams are sort of maturing their CI/CD practice where 
where individual application teams are responsible for building and deploying their own applications rather than running running through more of a you know a centralized kind of process driven release management approach. You heard about Open Telemetry and the other million CNCF projects. <laughs> so, how does it all affect the work uh, New Relic is doing? Uh, Kubernetes, containers, and a hundred other things. I mean, they are that that chart looks ugly. How many of that do you guys support? What are you looking at? What uh, what are you doing with it? One of the really cool things that I think New Relic's been focused on from a product innovation perspective is. You know, it used to be several years ago that the way that our customers instrumented their applications and infrastructure was by installing, you know, instrumenting their their application code or installing agents on hosts, for example, and and watching data, you know, filter in. And one of the things that we've seen, particularly as sort of the ecosystem around the CNCF has continued to grow and as cloud native technology has continued to gain more traction within organizations, is there are now a lot of additional sources of telemetry data. Uh, that our customers uh, and organizations are using to be able to monitor their applications and services and infrastructure. You know, we're seeing Prometheus, for example, which is extremely tightly coupled with the Kubernetes ecosystem that's gained a tremendous amount of popularity. We're seeing, you know, open standards start to emerge around concepts like distributed tracing, for example, which has been fantastic to see. And so one of the cool shifts that I've seen within New Relic over the past couple of years is We've really expanded the sources of data that our customers can instrument and start to monitor and apply, you know, intelligence and curation and context to within New Relic. And that means providing APIs and exporters and integrations to be able to pull in data from tools like Prometheus or other open source tools and standards, as well as tools like Amazon CloudWatch, for example, and then giving our customers the ability to query, the ability to visualize the ability to alert on, the ability to apply intelligence to all that data, regardless of the source, in order to be able to, you know, break down some of the data silos and blind spots that, you know, inhibit teams from getting that unified view of all of their operational data in one place. So we are big proponents of a lot of the innovation that's been happening around the CNCF ecosystem. We support those tools. We have engineers and product folks that are part of working groups. And New Relic is actually uh, just recently you know, started open sourcing a lot of our agents and and that's all about giving back to the community and, and fostering, you know, a higher pace of innovation in our in our space. Now you convinced me that it's necessity for the digital enterprise, the AI apps that is. But what does the future hold for the AI apps though? I mean, it's, it's just getting hot right now, but what's in the future? Where do you see this uh, space in the long term? I have sort of a, f- a few predictions for where I think the AI ops technology space will continue to evolve longer term. One of the areas of opportunity, I think, for AI ops technology is really around more elegant risk analysis. And that's idea that like, hey, I can fix this particular problem, but how do I have you know, near certainty that fixing this one problem won't break anything else? And so the concept of you know more elegant dependency mapping and being able to assess risk as part of a remediation process, for example, or even as part of a build deploy cycle for software, I think is one area where, we'll, where, where we will continue to see more focus from, from vendors and more adoption among you know, end users. Another prediction I have is just around continuing to see more data agnostic AI ops technology emerge. And we've talked a lot about this, but it's this idea that AI ops can really snap in on top of a monitoring practice or as part of an observability practice and enable you to, 
you know, ingest data from multiple sources, whether that's redundant monitoring tools, whether that's incident management tools, or any technology in your toolkit that's emitting alert data, for example, normalize that data, identify relationships across them and start to group and correlate you know, alerts and, and incident data that are due to the same core issue in order to be able to reduce noise and facilitate faster resolution. And so I think this idea of a lot more interoperability among technology in this space to become more data agnostic is a trend that I think we'll continue to see. And then another area longer term, when I talk to people about AI ops, a lot of times the topic of automatic remediation or this idea of AI ops providing sort of like self-healing capabilities ends up coming up. And Let's be honest, like most AI ops technology out there today isn't doing that yet. The focus has primarily been on detecting anomalies to be able to predict and prevent issues before they happen, on, you know, correlating events and alerts to reduce noise, and on enriching incidents and alerts with metadata and context to be able to, you know, diagnose and get to root cause faster. But historically, AI ops technology, I think, has really stopped short of Okay, so if we've identified the problem and we've given you, you know, diagnostics to be able to figure out what to do about the problem faster and get closer to root cause, let's go fix it without requiring any human intervention. I don't think the space is quite there yet. And uh, I think longer term, what we'll see is that AI ops technology will start to sort of expand its scope to include things like automatic remediation, whether that's through providing runbooks and scripts that are tailored to a specific problem that provide remediation capabilities, or if that means providing tighter coupling with automation technology that's already out there. If I know that an incident that I've experienced is the result of a configuration change on a host running in my data center, being able to trigger an Ansible playbook or a Puppet Run, for example, or a Chef script or loop in kind of Terraform or Pulumi to be able to go and, and fix that particular problem. Those are the types of tighter coupling between AI ops and automation that I, I think longer term will start to see uh, converge. Oh boy, so many things in that answer I want to double click. The self-healing capabilities, dependency mapping, tighter automation <laughs> coupling, all of the above, man. But uh, we are almost out of time, unfortunately. Would you, would you come in again some other time and talk to us? Let's do this again, Andy. This has been fun. And, and yeah, would, would love to, to kind of dig in and talk more about where we see the space headed long term. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael, for the great conversation. Love to have you again. For sure. It's been fun. Thanks very much. So you heard from Michael. Do you agree, disagree, or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.